Theological Thursday to all of you. I am James Crockett. He is Dre Clark. We are glad to have you back with us again this week. We are actually recording on a Monday. Uh, This is going to be released on Thursday, but we are recording on a Monday. Um, We'll explain why in a second. But um, again, thank you to all our listeners uh, for taking part. Uh, Again, we encourage you multiple ways to listen to us. Uh, One other thing, we encourage you to subscribe. And on iTunes, if you subscribe to the show, uh, you will get first access to the new episodes. Um, So right when we upload those episodes, it should show up for you. So uh, I encourage you to go ahead and subscribe. Uh, But with all that, we're, again, glad to have you back with us today. Dre, how are you doing? Yes, it is Monday. Mondays are are normally my my day's uh, to do just schoolwork, and so um, so I've got a busy day of reading ahead of me and all yes. sorts of fun stuff. So lovely, glad we we were able to make sure this uh, podcast was in for the week. So James, why are we doing it on a uh, Monday today? Yeah, yeah so going on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this week, I actually leave. Uh, I fly out to Alabama later today. I am going to a conference called College Metro. I'm really excited about it. It is a conference specifically for church-based college pastors. Um, a lot of times when you go to conferences for college ministers, it is mainly for uh, people who work at like on-campus college ministries, um, like on college campuses themselves. But there's very oftentimes I find there's very little material for people who are doing college ministry within just a local church. Uh, so this conference is just for that. So I'm really excited about that. That's going to go through Thursday. Uh, and so Thursday morning, I'll be occupied there. So yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. So why do you think that you said there's not a lot of curriculum, not a lot of stuff for college ministries? Why, mm-hmm. why is that? Um, well, I think it's because we have typically number one, you probably have more people who work at BSMs or BCMs, uh, mm. Baptist Student Ministries, Baptist, whatever you want to call it. Um, you actually have a lot more people who do that sort of stuff than actually work in the church as college ministers. Uh, very few churches have the resources to hire just someone who just focuses on college ministry. Mm. Um, and so I think there's value in the on-campus college ministries. I've met many people who do a BSM ministry, and they're doing incredible work. And so that is awesome. Um, I will say we have to be a little careful with the church that we don't outsource all of that. Um, a lot of times we'll send people to BSM, and we're just like, all right, good luck. And the church is not involved um, in reaching campuses. So um, I do think there is something to be said, and something I've been thinking about is, you know, how can we as churches, you know, that God has instituted to go and make disciples of all people. How can we do a better job of um, the church itself, really the local church, I should say, reaching into college campuses? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing that I've always uh, kind of said, I've been saying it for a while now, but I feel like because of the way culture is going, we have taken, we've delayed progress. So I think in, in one sense, we've, we've lost, um, mature or lost innocence at an earlier age, but we're gaining maturity at a later age. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I think that, you know, middle school is, is really, you know, looking more and more like elementary did. And I'm thinking that high school is becoming a little bit more and more like middle school. And I think that college is becoming more and more like high school. Yeah. So I think as, 
the culture kind of extends maturity in one way. I think that you it it, it demands a different kind of thinking about it and demands more resources and more. Um, you know, not programming, but, you know, just intentionality there. Um, at the same time, though, they're, they're losing innocence earlier. And so now there's a whole new rewriting that has to happen in all of our other areas of ministry, too. And so yeah. I, I think it's I've never heard of a college, you know, con- I, I hear children's all the time. I hear church wide all the time where there's breakouts for that. I've even heard of student conferences. Um, but so I think that's really cool that, that you have that. So, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I look forward to kind of seeing what I can take away and learn. And yeah, it should be a good week. Yeah. Um. Dre, did you have anything maybe uh, over this past weekend you've been listening to, reading that uh, has been uh, has stood out to you? Oh yeah, I mean I'm always doing stuff. Um, you know the ones I've been up to lately. I don't know if there's anything that's really stood out, but I've been listening. I went back and I've been listening to a podcast called The Worship Spot, and hmm. so there's a uh, there's a guy. Um, he's actually one of my uh, well, it used to be my my worship pastor um, back when I was a student, but he has a podcast out um, and he's just talking about worship and different things. And so he has a, a good podcast that I've kind of hadn't checked in on in a while. And so I was listening to that this week. And then another one, um, one of my favorite professors from my seminary, I'm at Dallas Seminary, um, but my favorite professor that I've had, I shouldn't say that, I really have a whole bunch of favorite ones, but one of the ones that was very influential on me, um, he just now moved over to a church in Irving and is now the head pastor there. And so um, I've been following him just to, I just watching how you go from a seminary world to a pastoral world mm. and carry carry these deep theological conversations but into a practical sense in and um you know doing ministry so he, that's with Irving Bible podcast is, is the name of it oh yeah yeah so, I know the church uh, yeah. 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 So I've been listening to him. Um, and so Barry Jones is his name. And okay. um, I could not speak more, you know, accolades to this man. I mean, it's yeah. what he's helped me through in my faith and, and just some of those key classes at the seminary. So, yeah. so those are ones that I'm, I've been, uh, you know, kind of listening to again this week. Um, and then I'm always reading all sorts of different things. I yeah. bought a couple new books the other day too. So nice. Uh, let's go ahead and kind of move into our primary conversation. I think we need to go ahead and recap what we talked about last week because this is really a part two of a discussion on um, experience the mind and worship. So, Dre, can you kind of recap for everyone what we talked about um, in last week's episode? Yeah, I feel I mean, we hit a lot of things, and so I think it'd be great for people to go back and listen to that because we were going to pick up on that conversation. But um, I, I feel like the question, yeah. I like to think in questions, and so I think the question we were asking is, what what's the purpose of the mind and experience in worship mm. services? So we didn't really get into a lot of details, which I, I think was where we want to go today. Um but but really yeah. just what's the purpose of what's all of this or why why even ask the question? Um and I think we just talked about if I can remember right, there's there's just a dichotomy, there's a tension between um mind and experience. Mm-hmm. Often we kind of pit them against each other. And so um and so people yeah. that are very experiential in their worship, you know, they get attacked um on one end and they, you know, people kind of criticize and then the people that are really intellectual on the other end, you know, they're saying, Oh, that's just dry and lifeless and and, 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 and just, yeah, you know, how yeah. do you, how do these two things marry together and what really is the function of a worship? And so we talked about, you know, um, how, how I think you have to hold them all together and, and you can't go to different extremes. Um, and, and, and yeah. it's needed and we actually need, um, our experiences help us, our, our, our mind helps us. And really, we have to have a guiding truth of what scripture says to, to guide us anyways. And then, you know, learning how to be holistic in our approach to worship. Yeah. Yeah. We were really talking about, um, how our thoughts of God about who he is, how not only do we experience God, you know, so to say, or, but we also, you know, we form our knowledge of God through thought and through thinking. And we talked a little bit about how 
both of these things, emotions, feelings, and the mind are, you can't rely on just one because they're corrupt, right? Um, that mm. if you just rely on one, if you just rely on the mind, just try to think your way through theology, um, you can, you can, the criticism of you can end up with a dead and lifeless theology is somewhat true, especially if you never um, live out that theology, right? It's God is not just someone we think about. It's, it's a person we experience. Right. Um, and so who transforms our own life. Uh, but if you rely just on experience and just on what you feel about God, well, your feelings and your emotions are deceptive. So yeah, we were looking at what is a happy medium, so to say, which I think we're in a lifelong pursuit of trying to figure out what is the good middle ground. And like you said, holding those things in tension. Um, and I think one of the big things we talked about is the thing that really brings us to a good tension to where what's the middle point, I guess that brings these two things together. Well, it's the, I think the truth of scripture is so important in all of that um, really helps us along the way of holding these two things um, in the regard and in the role they both deserve. But, um, yeah, so I, th- I think it's good for us to go ahead and to move into um, more specific uh, conversation about this. So I, we could take this many different ways, but um, I, I, this week we're going to talk about how does this play out in a worship service? Um, and so I, I think this this will be illustrative uh, for, you know, how both of these the mind and experience play a role in forming our theology. Um, but hopefully it could be helpful in how we even approach a weekly worship service. So, mm, yeah. um, and I think that's the spot that, you know, I think that's where we got to start because that's where, you know, the average person who is, you know, is devout in their faith, that that's where, that's where the week starts for them. That's where, and it's, that's where they go to. And that's, that's where the, even the conversation begins. Whenever we say worship, whether we like it or not, I mean, it, it really, we do think to a, Sunday morning or a Saturday night service mm. um, or, or some kind of an experience. And so I think that I think it's a great place to start. Mm. Yeah. So um, let's start with this question, Dre. I think before we can get go into a worship, talking about the worship service, let's just start with the question of what is worship? So how would, how would you yeah. define that? Yeah. So um, I just pulled up my, my uh, dictionary and uh, just was reading through that because I saw that question was coming up. And this is what one of the definitions says. Um, it says the praise, adoration, and reverence of God, both in public and in private. Mm. Private. It's a celebration of the worthiness of God by which honor is given to his name. Mm. Um, so that's just a very broad thing. Um, I, I do think it brings out in that definition, I bring it brings out a couple things that and that I and I have a degree, so um, I went to Dallas Baptist University, and my degree is in life performance and worship leadership. Mm. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time doing this. I, I'm a musician as well, and so I've spent a lot of time on stages. And you have too, James. You're you know vocalist. Mm. Um, and so uh, I, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of people focus on the musical aspect of it. And I feel like there's been a movement. I think people that think about it, they're pretty quick to say, "Well, it's not just music." And so I make the joke like. You know, whenever in a worship service, I, I would say, you know, are we at the musical part of it? Are we at the preaching part of it? You know, like which which, which part of, you know, the musical worship or the preaching worship or the giving worship? Um, so I, I try to do that and frame it that way. But mm. um, but yeah, so I, I do think, though, one thing that that I kind of have a conviction on lately um, is this this nuance. It was even in this definition, a basic one that I just, you know, Googled real quick. You know, it, it says 
praise, adoration, and reverence of God, both in public and in private. Mm. Um, and, and I, I just think it's funny that that's in there. Um, as if that's the, if that's the major divide, you know, and we talk about this and, and there's a sense in which this is true, you know, a, a public and a private life. Um, but I don't know. Would you have any thoughts just kind of on that? I mean, you might know where I'm going with that, but do you have any thoughts on that whenever we start talking about worship? Um, well, yeah, I, I think in that definition and part of what you're talking about and even how we, how we will divide up aspects of worship. You, you even mm-hmm. the joke of like, Oh, is this the singing part, the preaching part or, or whatever. Um, I, again, I, I think it's, you know, we, we like to categorize those things maybe because they're helpful for us in thinking, okay, yeah. how are, how are these things played out? And so maybe we categorize in the public and the private life. We're, we're trying to think of, okay, um, you know, okay, how do I worship in public? How do I worship in my private you know, in my quiet time, so to say, in my devotional life, all that stuff. But really what all of this is giving at is worship itself is just such a, it's a holistic thing that is, it encompasses every part of life that worship is not just, you know, we have a worship service, but the worship service is not just, okay, we've got like an hour, hour and a half, and this is our worship for the week and then we move on. No, that worship is something that, encompasses everyday life and every every human being worships something so in in an aspect even the unbeliever we're all living out a life of worship um Mm -hmm. we're all praising and adoring something and we're we're either doing that through words or we're doing that through actions so i think it's just really important that the worship service is a corporate part of it that and that's just one aspect where we get to really um maybe have a more focused time on uh, really praising and adoring God, uh, but worship is all encompassing in life. And so uh, I, I think this gets into the interesting idea that, you know, oftentimes I'll hear people, they talk about, man, what an incredible worship service. And they talk about, man, that was some great worship. And then their life doesn't change. And so then, so then I ask myself, well, did you really, did you really have a great time of worshiping God, because I think if you truly worship God, it leads to um, very noticeable life change and transformation. And so worship mm-hmm. is not just an activity. It is transformative. It affects everything we do. So, yeah, I think that's kind of really what you're getting at there is re- um, we have all these categories that might be helpful for defining it, but we need to realize that worship is a holistic practice that affects every aspect Absolutely. of our life. Yeah. And I think that's what happens. I think sometimes in, in, in good intentions, I think the church, I think what you said, we're trying to be helpful. We're trying to to guide people of how to understand, you know, texts that are thousands of years old. We're trying to help people understand, like, what does this look like? What is it? What does it look like in history? And in that effort to be helpful, um, we find uh, distinctions, which are there. Yeah. Um, you, you, clearly, clearly there is a public life that I live in. Clearly there is a private life um, that I experience. I mean, there's moments that I'm in corporate worship and there's moments whenever, you know, in the mornings or at nights, whenever I am you know, doing personal study or devotion. Yeah. Um, so those, those are, I'm not trying to blow the system up, but what I would argue is that, um, that we've, we've separated them mm. and, and we've, we, we've, and I think that's part of the problem with a lot of these conversations, even with, with the mind and experience, right? We, we, uh, we separate them yeah. and now they're two different categories. And, and now then, then once we separate them, now you can pit them against each other. Now you can say this one's more important. Um, and so I think, I think it's this idea of learning how to take concepts and, and learning that they're distinct concepts 
um, but they shouldn't be separated. Yeah, yeah, I think you could say um, how you publicly worship God will affect how you privately worship God, and how you privately worship God will affect how you publicly worship God. Like That's they're, right. You, they're, in, they're interconnected. You can't separate them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and even the people that say, well, you know, it's just me, a cup of coffee, my Bible, you know, or whatever. Um, well, you're reading a translation. I mean, you, you, you know this pretty well. You know it more than me. I mean, there's so much interpretation, mm. even in translations that try to pull away from interpretation. You can't stop that. Yeah. And I think we're going to talk about that in another episode. But this is the yeah. idea that even whenever I come to the, the Bible, I'm I'm not there by myself. I, I'm yeah. using someone else's work. Um and um, and it needs to be interpreted. It does. It's actually the the point of Bible study. The point of pastor is the point of all these things. And so it's not like an interpreted scripture is a bad one. But the idea that we you really can't escape community. And so it 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 if it, it comes onto our private life, and our private yeah. also goes into it, and they work together. And you cannot have one without the other. Yeah, you just yeah. can't. It's impossible. Yeah. So I I think it's an important point for us to point out before we get into the worship service that worship is a holistic experience so what we're not saying when we when we're going to discuss um the mind and experience in worship services is okay this is the only time you worship what we're trying to say is um that it is a holistic thing in our life and it will affect it will affect how we live but you know if we can think about how we approach even just a worship service if we could approach that correctly um, it should help us hopefully in every other aspect of worship in our life. Um, but yeah, this is a little bit illustrative, uh, but I think it was important for us to answer that question to let yep. everyone know that, Hey, we, we see worship as a thing that is, um, it's not just an appointed service. It is, it is how we live. We all live lives of worship in some way, the end result of worship being surrender. And so really, uh, what you're surrendered to, um, tells me what you worship. Right. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, and that's the I won't go through it, but Isaiah six, that's, you know, the one of the pinnacle passages we see on worship. Um, uh, you know, Isaiah six at the end of it is Isaiah says, here, my Lord, send me. That's that's the result of a life of worship. And that's how we knew Isaiah really worshiped God is he was surrendered to him. So, um, OK, let, let's move into talking about Sunday services or weekly um it was like especially week may or just like a corporate worship service. So um I think the question here is maybe we should ask it this way. So Dre, what is the danger of uh, let's start with the experience side. What is the danger of relying too much on experiential practices in a worship service. What does that look like when we rely too much on that? And what is the danger? Yeah. I I think if that is your, use the word rely, um, I might even use the starting point. Mm. I think we're saying the same things. If that's my, if that's where I begin, if that's my foundation of it, um, my, my assumption, I might be wrong on this, but my assumption is that the culture that we live in influences us far more than we realize. Mm. Um, and I think that the average person, including including seminary people, you know, um, I think the Ian pastors, you know, I think the average person is more persuaded by their culture um, because they spend more time in their culture than they may in other areas. And so um, so and then what happens with that is that I, I start to exegete my culture more than I start to look at maybe a, a source of authority, like we would say the Bible or scripture or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so now what happens is I start seeing my culture in the Bible. And this is, this is called eisegesis. I start putting things there that aren't there. And I think this is a danger that even the best of churches fall into. Yeah. Um, and so now my experience is, 
is overriding or it's, it's, it, 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 I take my experience and say, this is how I interpret what this is saying. And this is, and therefore now I'm justifying what I'm doing through something that may or may not actually be in scripture. And so really it it is a question of authority. And that was kind of last week's conversation, but that's, that's my worry is the danger is that, that we'll, we'll become people who put things into a, we'll, we'll create a, a side culture that was never meant to exist. We'll take, we'll take Christianity, we'll take faith in the ancient faith in a kind of way. And we'll take our modern culture. Mm. And then instead of, working them together correctly and dealing with the tensions will actually create a third culture yeah. um, and, a, and a bubble, you know, or per se that we, we live in. And now we have a altered form of both. Yeah. So, so if I'm you know, quoting you correctly here, um, what you're saying is that even sometimes our experiences, our own cultural experience are more informing um, our worship of God, our thoughts of God than the truth of scripture itself. Um, is that, that pretty fair to say kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, I think that that that's the yeah. battle. That's the battle it's, of the mind that, you know, that's, that's Romans 12. You know, I, I think we just, you know, I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I, I really feel like that's, that's the battle to be fought is, is a battle yeah. in our minds. And, and, and we don't do a good job of that. We've lost the art of contemplation in, in our, yeah, in our one, and I agree. And this is why, this is why the intellectual side is also the thinking side is important that, um, we do sit back and we, um, contemplate even our own worldviews and ask ourselves, okay, is there something, um, am I, do I have a skewed perspective here of scripture that is not actually informed by what the scripture is actually saying, but maybe it's actually being more informed on, um, my culture, how I've been raised or whatever. And so, and so sometimes you might think of a truth of scripture and you might ask yourself that question and you might come to the conclusion, no, I actually think right, rightly on this, um, that this is actually pretty faithful to scripture. Um, so I don't think Dre, what we're not saying is, Hey, every, every thought you have about scripture, you need to throw it all out. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, because you're too experienced, you're too influenced by your culture. But what we are saying is uh, it's something to keep yeah. in mind. It's, it's like, if I go, if I go for a walk, you know, I, I used to live by Paladero Canyon up in Amarillo, Texas. Like, and I go for a walk, like I would, there's a place called the lighthouse and we'd always hike up to it and there's rattlesnakes. I mean, it's in the middle of the Canyon, right? I've seen se- several mm. of these things. Um, I don't not go for the walk and enjoy the walk because I know there's rattlesnakes, but I, I don't, I'm not like going to go off the trails. I'm not going to not be looking down. I, you know, I'm not going to be unaware knowing that there's this danger out there. So I think it's, it's that kind of a balance. Like just knowing that it's there yeah. doesn't prevent us from moving forward. Um, but at the same time, if, if we're not aware of it, you could end up something really dangerous. So, yeah, well, let's move into another question I think is important when we talk about experience in um, worship. Um, and so we, we should talk about it from the context of how cultural experience will affect how we interpret scripture. But maybe let's even move into um, uh, maybe what I would title emotionalism and using emotion mm-hmm. in worship, which I think is is becoming more and more common. And uh, we we often we we when we talk about uh, man, that was a great worship service. We, we talk about what a great experience that was like, what a, what an incredible worship experience. And oftentimes we say, Hey, maybe that worship service really, um, satisfied my emotional need of some sort. And so, uh, maybe what are the dangers of emotionalism and how does this, maybe what are some practical ways you see this plays out? Maybe some things that actually happen in a worship service that, we would say, hey, that actually might be more emotionalism than it is really relying on the truth of scripture. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, really, there's a whole other, another conversation we could have around this, too. Um, uh, I'll kind of sum up my view. Emotions, to me, are windows. Mm-hmm. Um, emotions are, I, like I said, I don't think we should we should say, oh, truth trumps emotion. If you get your truth train in line, then the caboose of the emotions are going to fall in place. I think that's not really helpful. Um, I think, though, that whenever we have emotions, I think it's a God-given um, human way of, of having a window that's opened up to look inside and have this kind of contemplation that I was thinking of. And so what happens though is in worship services, we just feel the emotion and we stop and we don't take the time to look in and, and look what's behind the emotions. Ask, why am I feeling this way? Why, why did that song um, strike me this way? Like mm. there's a lot of people listen to music um, and, and they'll connect with music on such a deep level. And the problem is though, is that there's a comfort there because it's someone relating to you. But the problem is, is we don't move forward with it. Yeah. Um, you know, I deal a lot of, in, in my lifetime, I've dealt with a lot of people that have had depression, anxiety, all sorts of things. And, and so there, you know, you take medication, but the point is not to take medication just to, um, cope with what's going on. It's actually to get you to a level where you can start dealing with it in a healthy way. And actually even the goal, a great goal would be to move away from medication to where you can now handle these problems. And that's not in every case, but, but I think that that's kind of what emotions are doing. And, and we don't do that. We, we take the high, we take the, the instant gratification and we walk away yeah. and we never actually evaluate the experience. Yeah. And so now the, the next week after a camp or the next week after a conference or a retreat, um, things go back to normal because you had this amazing gift to look inside of you and you didn't take it because you got too easily satisfied. Yeah, I, I think so. You brought up an interesting point of you're not a fan of the phrase that truth trumps emotion and you don't find that overly helpful. Um, I, maybe we can reword that to make it more helpful. Um, motions as windows, but maybe another thing I could, I would say, and, uh, you, you know, you can tell me if you think this is helpful or not, but that truth informs emotions, um, instead of trumping them it informs them. Um, and so, and this is goes into what you're talking about of, evaluating, right? You know, if you have an emotional experience evaluating, why did I have that? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the way, yeah. the way this can play out in the worship service is, well, let's take, yeah, let's take, you know, again, a lot of people are going to associate worship with music. So let's just take that of, you know, you emotionally really connect with the song. And a lot of the times what happens is, is if you don't keep that in check, you, you more emotionally connect with it, but you don't really even think about the truth behind the song. And so this is why I think people get upset. I'm, you know, I'm going to be one that I try to really think of theology behind songs and making sure, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to make sure, Hey, is this really conveying a appropriate truth? Cause songs are many times preaching as much as a sermon preaches. Right. And so, sure. um, I'm going to ask myself, okay, is this conveying a good theological truth? And I find sometimes if I challenge maybe a popular song that people connect with, if I challenge, hey, I don't really know if this is actually correct or if this if the truth this song is trying to present is really reflective of Scripture, what happens? People get upset about it. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Because they emotionally connected to it. And I'm saying, well, yeah. hang on. You know, you might have some – but ask yourself, is this more just – you know, because music itself. I mean, Dre, you know this – um, you're more of a musician than I am. Um, you know this, that music affects people, right? That it just oh, does. Course, yeah. And so you got to ask yourself, am I emotionally connecting with the song because maybe the music is manipulating me? Or is it because, 
you know, I'm really connecting with the truth behind this song and this truth that the song is conveying is transformative. So yeah. I, I think that's just one way. Um, and maybe that this plays out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I think, I think, I think, I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I may be really biased because of my, you know, music degree, but I think music is probably one of the best vehicles we have. You know, it's, it's the Lamborghini. It's the, it's the top, you know, it's the Tesla of, of vehicles we have to get us places. And, 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 and like you said earlier, earlier that our, our truth should inform, um, our, our emotions, but I think our emotions are what get us to truth. You know, mm. I mean, no, nobody, nobody, learn something. We, we all make decisions out of increasing pleasure and decreasing pain. We all make decisions, you know, through these things. I think music is a vehicle that gets us to where we're going. Yeah. Um, but the question is, is where is it taking us? Yeah. Or are we just sitting in it and not doing anything? Yeah. You know, are we just sitting with the engine on? Or if we're staying in our garage and we turn the car on, you know, that can actually be mm. harmful, right? You could be breathing yeah. some bad stuff. So just to use that analogy. And so, um, so I think in, in one sense, yes, our, it, our mind needs to inform us where we need to take this car, but, and that's where people don't analyze that part. So it's, it's a half of the side. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think music is, I think it's a gift. I think it's extremely powerful and that's why it does affect us so much. And I do think that's why people are attracted to churches, you know, based on what worship may be, yeah. um, in, in, in that place. Um, but we, we have to remember there's another side to this. Yeah. And I think that's where, that's where the balance is. I think that's what you're trying to say is that no, now we've got to go somewhere and, and, We've got to be careful. What what is this song conveying? What is this um, art doing inside of me? Um, you know, people. I, I deal with students, so students all the time will say, "Oh, I like the beat, but I don't like. I don't listen to the lyrics." Um, and I would say, "No. What what you're doing is you're saying you love the you love the musical car. You love what you're sitting in, um, but you don't like where it's going to take you. But well, if it's taking you that way, it's gonna it's gonna move you down that road. Yeah. And so you've yeah, got you like to be careful. Not. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and so um and so I do I'm I'm a huge huge advocate for more theology and music. Mm. Um and I don't even think it has to be I don't think music has to play the role of you said it, you know, preaching sermons. I don't hold that anymore. I used to because I think that in the Psalms you get some pretty not I wouldn't say bad theology because that might be controversial, but you get some, you know, David talks about crushing his son's head on a rock. No, that's wrong. Like we should, you know, but he feels yeah. that way, but, but it's complemented with truth. And so I don't think music has to be, um, one of my favorite musicians says it this way. Um, God doesn't need a lawyer. Yeah. Um, so music, music is a way to tap into that emotional side and to understand what's going on, but then we should be responsible and, and then put the mind back into that experience. Yeah. Well, um, and they ha- and if they don't work together, then you just get dangerous. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe it's not helpful to say that, a, uh, music should be sermonic, um, that it might not be structured the same way as a sermon, but, yeah, but that it should eventually lead to truth. So when you have David, yeah, when you, yeah. when you have David in the Psalm say something like that, uh, a good example of this is, uh, I'm blanking on the psalm now where David talks about why are the heathen rage and he talks about where is justice, where is yeah. is God going to avenge the righteous? And of course God is, but it but yeah. David eventually gets to the truth of and then I entered yes. into the house of the Lord and I saw their end. And so music can maybe start with some of these concepts, but it, it, maybe mm. so maybe it's not helpful to say that okay, it's another sermon, but what it does do, much like a sermon should do is it leads us to, uh, it should lead us to truth um so maybe that's yeah. a more helpful way to say that yeah I, or maybe even another way of leading i know that i use the car example but maybe even just a sense that we sing the song and then maybe the reason we have preaching afterwards is so we can feel the emotive side of things and then afterwards we can follow it up with 
with putting truth because because you have to you have to dig a hole before you can fill it fill it right and so if I just approach if I just open up um, and I just approach my study in such a dry way and I'm not I'm not being moved um, I, I'll never forget my first day of of uh, going through Romans, my, my fifth semester of Greek at my seminary with Dan Wallace. Um, you know, he walks in the room and, and his first thing he says is, um, you know, if, if you don't, you know, he's like, I, I've been teaching Romans. I know Greek really well. I've been going through all these things, but if we don't connect with God in this, we're wasting our time. And yeah. you know, he took off his shoes, which was kind of crazy. And he's wearing this Hawaiian shirt, you know, and he's like, you know, we're on holy ground whenever we open this. And so yeah. just really inviting us to do something that's very intellectual, something that's very much a a taxing process of the mind of studying Greek in the book of Romans. Um, and it was a pretty difficult class um, yeah. with Dan Wallace. Um, but having him start out and say, you know, don't forget that this is worship. Yeah. I mean, um, what- I, I just feel like that was a beautiful marriage of the two together. And I think that's what we should be doing in our worship and in our preaching. Cause sometimes preaching can go the other way too. Yeah. I mean, I'm, when I study deeper theological truths about God and um, some of the very, even some of the very academic things I've been studying, um, I, I would say it is not just a intellectual em- exercise, but I, I am incredibly moved by the awesomeness of God, uh, by the character of God, by the truth of who God is. You know, when I get to preach and teach, um, you know, I, I'll preach and teach hopefully with a little bit of passion. And the reason is, is because man, these truths are important and they are transformative. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are deeply moving. And so God created us that way that we see who he is and that we, we don't just think, Oh man, that's all right. You know, here's fact A, fact B, fact C about who God is, but know that this, these facts actually deeply move us to, and they move us to want to be in intimacy with him and they move us, um, to be in awe of him. And then they move us to say, Hey, no, I am, you know, I, I think one of the great statements is, you know, where Paul talks about the love of Christ, he says it constrains us or this idea like it's almost this really emotional term of man, it just overtakes us. Um, and you can read in Paul where Paul seems like he, he'll go on these um, statements of just adoring and praising God. And you can almost feel the adoration, the emotion as Paul writes where he'll say, Oh, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God. And he'll just go on these long things. And um, these truths are so moving. And so, um, and I think that's the beautiful thing about when we think about God and we, we, we practice an intellectual exercise. It doesn't have to be just mundane, that it can really, mm. truly, deeply move us. And even in a worship service, so as I'm sing, if I'm singing a song and I'm thinking about the words, not just mindlessly singing a song, but thinking about the truth yeah. behind the song can really even draw me into a, even a deeper uh, connection with God and deeper worship of, hey, it's now not just the music that's moving me, but it's also, man, there is an incredible truth behind this song. Um, you know, one of my favorite worship songs is In Christ Alone. When I think about um, uh, the truth that's portrayed that, um, that Christ alone took on flesh, um, the fullness of God that is in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, he's scorned by the ones who came to save. So on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I mean, these are incredible truths that really deeply moved me. And so, um, yeah, and so when you bring these two together, it, it's really, you can have this, I think, this really deeper time of worship that will not only be just something that happens in the service, but really 
I think really transforms you as you walk out of the service and um, really compels you each and every day to draw closer to God and to reflect him more and more. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the key. If, if we want our, if we really want to, I don't know, I don't know if the word rediscover is right, but maybe, um, maybe, maybe more deeply and profoundly understand the art of worship per se. I think it's, I think we have to learn and we have to become people who are holistic. We have to be people who realize that, that all of these things play a part, um, in, in my daily practice of being a Christian, my weekly practices, my daily and my Sunday practices. It's this idea that everything is connected and, and I can't neglect one and to overemphasize one over another, um, or not to, not to realize the distinct functions of the other ones or to separate them, um, is going to lead to a dry, dull, um, or a, um, a not useful worship experience. And we're going to be missing out on what God has created us to do. Yeah. Um, we're not being, we're not being called into that. So. Yeah. And I, and I think too, this is, um, if you follow church history, I think that you can see what we've been saying. I think you can see emphasis of different ones of these. You know, I think you can see an emphasis on the mind in some, I think you can see emphasis of um, experience in others. Revivalism, yeah. you know, is, is an emphasis on, on the consumeristic. It's almost like, you know, Hey, um, we're, we're, we're salesmen or maybe you get these Bible conferences <laughs> yeah. and maybe they're just so dry and everyone's wearing suits. Um, you know, and, and you see, you know, revivals, it's just all, you know, sometimes there are these very emotive events and, and come forward and, and you have this experience. And so I think you can just look in history and you can find the, the, the extremes of these. And I think that, you know, I don't think that it invalidates them, no. but I do think that we should look on them and say, um, maybe these are not sustainable models. Maybe this is not the practices that we should be working towards weekly in our lives when it comes to worship. Yeah. And I, you know, we're running out of time today. That's something though. I think I want to keep hitting. I want to hit on a little more in another conversation on, uh, what we're doing when we talk about the experience of mind and worship, we're not just some people might hear us talk about this and they're like, oh, they're going after the charismatics or something like that. No, that's not what we're doing. Mm-hmm. I would say that many um, I come from a conservative Baptist background. I would say conservative Baptists are guilty of the same thing, um, it, but it might take it might take different forms. But I think we're very and you're mentioning some of those forms, I think, where we have become guilty of some of the same things. But. Uh, we're running out of time this week, but I think that's something, um, maybe even, uh, our next conversation, let's, we can delve even deeper into, um, revivals, altar calls, these conferences, all this different stuff, and maybe, um, how those things have even, um, fallen into the trap of leaning just, uh, towards emotionalism or towards, um, just, just purely intellectualism. That's not life transforming, but, um, I think we need to do a future conversation on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could do several on each one yeah. of them. Just, you know, Charles Finney himself, we could talk about how that's impacted the yeah. American world yeah. for so much. Yeah. So, so yeah, um, absolutely. yeah, so we'll, we'll table that. Uh, I think we'll talk about that in a future episode, but we have unfortunately run out of time. There's, <laughs> there's so many different so many different directions we could take this and it's like i feel like man we've got so much else to discuss and um yeah. discover which is why it'd be great for people to send in their questions so we can you know get more focused on maybe answering some more specific things that people actually want to go down because yeah. it is it's such a it's really easy to take these things you know narrow then go back out and broad i mean it's 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 all connected all all spheres of this are and so yeah so we we'd love for people to put in their questions and, and, and say hey you know what about this conversation do you want to go deeper and what about it do you you know want to learn more yeah you know when it comes to actually writing songs i mean there's a whole i can do a whole podcast on just you know how we need better 
lyrics in, in, in our worship music too, you know, and not saying the same words that have maybe lost meaning, you know, that's yeah, a whole, yeah. I have a whole opinion on that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. So with all that, um, again, we would encourage you to go to, uh, subscribe, rate, review the podcast. Again, uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can listen to us on Apple podcast, on Spotify, Google play music. Uh, we would encourage you to follow us on Facebook at good theological Thursday. Just look for the page. You'll find us. Uh, give us your questions. Uh, let us know what you think of the discussion today. Uh, if there's a specific thing you have a question about, or even if you want to challenge us on something, uh, we, we would like that. And so uh, please uh, give us your comments. Uh, if you want to do that more in private, you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. Uh, but you know, before we close, do want to give a shout out. Uh, we've had a few different people uh, rate us on Apple Podcast, and so we want to thank everyone for that. Um, just giving us uh, those ratings. Also, want to give a shout out to on our Facebook page. We had a recommendation from uh, Tommy, good friend of ours that Dre and I actually both worked under. Uh, but just you know. Who's now a goat farmer, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. So uh, gave us a recommendation, just said worth the w- – That was a joke. For people that yeah. don't know Tommy, he's, he's a pastor, but he's, yeah, we, he also has goats. We like to, we like to tease him. So, um, But uh, just said worth the wait in your time. And so, Tommy, we appreciate that. And, um, again, if you've – please, uh, even if you know your review is uh, just critiquing what we're doing on the show, uh, we would like to just get as much feedback um, on that as possible. Because it's for them, not us. Yes, yes. This conversation is for everyone who's listening. Um, you know, we uh, Dre and I, of course, love just doing this, just discussing these things. But we want this to be beneficial to the people who tune in to us every week. So with that, Dre, do you have anything else? No, that's it. Let's close this thing. All right. Close this out, Dre. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening and have a good Theological Thursday. See you next week. See ya. See ya.